Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we conclude our series today, The Adventure of Prayer. So let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Elements of Prayer. God has appointed a number of means of grace. And what I have in mind when I speak of means of grace is that God has ways of communicating grace to us. Here's an example. Think of electrical wires as the means to bring electricity, either to, you know, light bulbs or power tools or so forth. There is a conduit whereby electricity is delivered. And God's grace, although it's given freely, we know, comes to us by faith. But what is it that excites faith? I mean, how is faith imparted? Or what is the normal means that God uses to bring faith or to strengthen faith in our lives? I hope you hear the question. There are normal means of grace. I know, I know there are miraculous means of grace or extraordinary means of grace as well. And here I'm talking about something unusual, like the parting of the Red Sea or the raising of Lazarus from the dead. No doubt, had you been there when Jesus ordered the stone of Lazarus' tomb to be rolled away, and no doubt at all, you'd have been overwhelmed as the smell of a rotting Lazarus, the awful smell of death, would have shot through the air. You might well have put your face into your clothing just to stop from throwing up. And then on that hot day where the stench of death was putrid, the loud voice of Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come forth. And then, astonishingly enough, You hear a noise from inside the burial cave. I mean, how in the world? And then completely wrapped in burial cloth comes Lazarus, shuffling, almost falling down. Jesus says, unwrap him and let him go free. And that day, say if you're Mary or Martha, still struggle and doubt whether Jesus is the Lord of nature, the Lord of the spiritual realm, the Lord of life and death. Well, on that day, your faith is stirred. Faith rises up. But did you notice? It came through a means, through a conduit. Jesus had performed a sign, and the sign ignited your faith. Well, the point I'm trying to make is that there are means of grace. Some are quite unusual, and some are normal. Let me give you one very normal means of grace. It's described in Romans 10:17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let me give you an example, something I remember. A woman in my church once told me a story. She said, I came to Christ listening to you preach. I said, well, thanks for telling me. It's wonderful to hear that my preaching is not in vain. And she said, well, I need to tell you how that came to be. She said, I was invited to church by my friend, and I didn't know what to expect. And after I heard you preach, I was furious with my friend. I was convinced that she had told you everything about me, and now you are speaking directly to me during the sermon. It wasn't until after the service that I confronted her, but she told me she had done nothing of the sort. What would happen is that the Holy Spirit was speaking to her through the sermon. In fact, that's God's regular or normal means of grace. It's the means he has chosen to bring about faith. Now, I want to add, I've heard countless stories almost identical to that, not just about my preaching, but many others as well. I have a friend who just the other day told me his conversion story. He had gone to a church in Manitoba, and that was exactly his story. And later on, he heard someone say, you know, that pastor's a godly man, but he's not a very good preacher. And he said, I didn't know that. I only thought someone had told him about me before I got there to church on that day. See, don't you see, God has appointed or God has ordained 
that when the word is preached, not when the preacher expresses his own ideas, but when he accurately explains Scripture, the Holy Spirit uses that as his normal conduit to bring about faith. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why why Christians must not give up the habit of weekly being under the teaching and preaching of the Word. It's God's normal means of grace. But I'm not speaking about preaching today. I'm speaking about prayer as a means of grace. But how? You know, in the case of preaching, it's something we receive. But in terms of prayer, well, it's something we do. Yeah, it's true. We pray. But as we pray, as we've already seen in this short series, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us and he's aiding us in our prayers. And we also notice that we enter into the Father's presence through the high priestly ministry of Jesus. And so we are aware that prayer opens us up to the grace of God. Well, if that's so, how do we pray? Let me begin first by describing at least three types of prayer. The first is public prayer. You know, prayer in church, prayer in your home Bible study group, prayer on special occasions, perhaps at a New Year's service, perhaps at a service around Easter time. Now, when I was pastoring, especially, I enjoyed, you know, those prayer evenings that we designated. But I also enjoyed a prayer altar at each Sunday morning service. And on many occasions, the altar is just flooded with people who had come for corporate prayer. Corporate prayer, surely a means of grace. James 5 says that those who are sick are to call the elders of the church to come and anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith, he says, will raise the one who is sick. If he or she has sinned, he or she will be forgiven. Marvelous means of grace as we pray both with others and for others and have others pray for us. Matthew 18, 19 to 20 says, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Or notice then in the Lord's Prayer, it has Jesus teaching us to pray. And he says, give us this day our daily bread. Us. It's corporate. We're praying this together. Or we might think of some Old Testament examples of this. You know, as for instance, when Solomon led all Israel in a national prayer, and it was to dedicate the newly built temple of the Lord. Corporate prayer is a means of grace. A second type of prayer are, you know, those multitude of prayers that we offer up rather spontaneously all day long. You know, I encourage an ongoing daily conversation with God. Ephesians 6 verse 18, Paul says that we should pray at all times. And that means, at least in my way of thinking, an ongoing, running commentary with God. If it's a beautiful morning and the sun is shining and you're healthy, do this little thing. Just simply say, Hi, Heavenly Father, I thank you for my life. I mean, what a gift you've given me. You know, I won't tell you all the things that I've prayed for in that way. And some of them, well, God has corrected me. I remember a winter morning. It was Sunday. I was out early, as always, driving to church to prepare myself. But it had snowed the night before, and it was still snowing. Now, word for all of you who mock those of us who live on the west coast of Canada, you know, it doesn't snow a lot here, but when it does, it's still fairly warm outside, meaning it's slippery and it's icy as compared to, you know, that minus 30-degree cold when the snow is more or less like powder. It's not that way on the west coast. Snow here is very icy. It's like a sheet of ice. I drove very slowly, and all the way I was talking with God. Heavenly Father, I'm very displeased that you've sent snow on Sunday. No one's going to show up in church. You should send snow on Monday. That would be great. But Sunday? I mean, why on Sunday? 
I mean, is it that there are already too many people in church that you send snow on the Lord's Day? Well, look, I'm not proud to admit it, but that is how I prayed until in my heart I sensed God saying, would you challenge my governance of the creation? I felt as if the voice had thundered and I was stunned. Just who did I think I was addressing? And there, driving slowly through the snow, I was repenting, and that was grace. Now then, corporate prayer, it's a means of grace. Ongoing, constant prayer. Well, that's also a means of grace. But there's another prayer, and it's the discipline of finding a daily place of prayer that also is vital to our spiritual life. Let's consider first some biblical examples. Daniel 6 verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, watch this, as he had done previously. And that is to say, you know, an emergency suddenly showed up in Daniel's life. And he doesn't panic. Rather, he goes back to an established pattern that was already set for his life. He had very definitive times of prayer in which there were three times each day when he prayed. Well, think of Jesus' words in Matthew 6, verse 6. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That is, listen, you need to find a private place where you won't be disturbed. Now, I can almost hear, you know, mom saying, look, you know, I've got preschool kids in the house. I can't even go to the bathroom by myself. I mean, how am I going to find that? Well, you might want to learn about Susanna Wesley, who had a small house and 11 kids and would put a dish towel around her head, and that was her private place of prayer. Well, there's so much we need to talk about this neglected matter of finding and establishing a discipline of daily scheduled times of prayer, along with a place where we do it. How do we pray at just such times? We're going to say more about that. You may sense a longing for a deeper, more consistent prayer life and yet readily admit a shortfall to do so. Well, this month, Back to the Bible Canada wants to support your intentions. And we'd like to send to you as our gift, the booklet, 30 Days of Prayer, A Season of Conversation with God. This free booklet contains 30 prayers personally selected by Dr. John from a prayer book entitled, The Valley of Vision. 30 Days of Prayer is not instruction about prayer, but provides for us an experience of prayer. It offers each of us a month of daily prayers to reflect upon God and offer the cry of our hearts. We believe this booklet will nurture and direct your desire to spend time in prayer with God. To request your free copy today, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Luke 5.16, speaking of Jesus, says, But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. We all know that our Lord prayed in private, in the middle of what surely looks like, at least to us, a very hectic schedule. He would leave the crowds and he'd find a place where he couldn't be found and he would pray. You know, on occasion, these times of prayer 
were for an extended period of time, as you know, was the case before he began his public ministry. And at other times, I have no doubt he simply acted like Daniel. He had regular set times of prayer. And we do know that at Gethsemane, the burden of what he was facing was so great that he called his disciples to pray with him, to support him. But of course, we all know that they were unable, that the burden was simply too great for them on that night. But all that to say, there are different kinds of praying. And it is important that believers do not neglect a daily ritual of prayer. Now, what should we do in those times? Well, I can tell you, this can be at at least at times very difficult and yet at other times very pleasurable. Most people practice daily prayer in the morning. Job 1 verse 5 says that Job would rise early in the morning and offer up burnt offerings for his children. Psalm 5 verse 3 says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Psalm 88 verse 13 says, But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Psalm 90 verse 14 says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. It's for that reason that I would commend finding a time in the morning for your personal prayer and devotion. I know there are those who argue that they're not morning people, and so they reserve a time for either the afternoon or the evening. Look, I know there's no biblical command that mandates morning devotions. And so if the morning really, really is awful for you, you know, be a little easier on yourself. But let me give you an argument for the morning. The morning is a time when you've not yet done anything. You haven't woken the kids, you haven't gone to work, you haven't gone to school or whatever else you might be doing. If you can find a time before the hustle and bustle of life begins and focus your heart on your God and gain perspective before you charge into life, give yourself time to hear his voice, lay your plans before his throne, order your life. This, in my experience, well, it does two things. First, I I promise you, you'll start to look forward to getting up. It'll be the highlight of the day and it will come early. And second, it will bring the teaching the love, the grace, the presence of God into the rest of your activities for all the day. You know, for me, the benefits of morning devotions are so great. You know, if you have to wake up 45 minutes early or an hour early, it's the best investment of time that you can make. So what should you do when you take this time? Well, how do you use that time reserved for you? Let me simply explain what I do. You know, my first activity, I read my Bible. You know, I'm often asked if I follow a devotional, and I personally don't. I have, however, a Bible reading plan that allows me to read the Bible through every year. In most years, I read it through chronologically. And I'm still amazed at how often, after all these years of reading through the Bible every year, that I find myself amazed by some of the things I've read. It says, I've never seen it before. And at times, it does focus some of my prayer life as well. Yet, I know some of you are saying, well, does he really read Leviticus through every year? Yes, I do. And interestingly enough, it doesn't feel like a chore. It has become quite precious to me. Also, before I move beyond this, let me say that my morning devotional reading is is usually in a translation that I'm not using for my study. You know, in my study, I use an essentially literal translation Uh, But in my devotions, I I use a different one, and recently I've been enjoying the Christian Standard Bible. 
you might look for an informed Christian to give you some advice in that regard. Well, next is prayer time. And I think it's helpful to think of prayer in terms of the various elements that make up prayer. So let me define five elements of prayer. And I'm sure there are more, but these five might be very helpful. First, worship. Listen to Psalm 96, verses 7 to 9. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Now, the context of the psalm is that the psalmist is entering into the courts of the temple. He's bringing an offering as he goes to worship. And of course, now, after the one sacrifice which Jesus has offered, it's a sacrifice that is once and for all, and his sacrifice forever ends the need for temple sacrifices. Well, things have now changed. We enter the courts of the Lord bearing his sacrifice. But we still come into the Father's presence and we ascribe to the Lord. That is, we attribute to God the greatness of his name. And here are some studies of the attributes of God can be so helpful. We might worship God for his omniscience, that is, his infinite knowledge, for his wisdom for his faithfulness, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his holiness, his righteousness, his just and fierce wrath, for all his perfections, his beauty, his glory. We might remember his sovereignty and worship him that he reigns over all for his omnipotence, that is, his eternal power. We might remember that he is spirit, but we are flesh, and that he is ever present to all spaces at all times. We might remember that we've never been out of his presence and that he is the great watcher of men who does whatever he pleases. We might remember that he scatters the proud, but that he gives grace to the humble. Worship simply dwells on the beauty of the Lord. It ascribes to God the glories that are due his name. Second element is praise, expressing our thanks to him. Psalm 92, verses 1 and 2 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning, there we have it again, and your faithfulness at night. That is, we are called upon to remember what he has done on our behalf. Steadfast love, that word, refers to the love of God which comes to us in the covenant. At the very outset, it seems to me that we should daily give thanks for the new covenant in the blood of our Savior. Because of Jesus, we're no longer the children of wrath. We're the children of grace. We should thank our Father for the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Thank him then for all the other stuff, family and work and money in the bank and health and anything else we can think of, we give praise. Third, we confess our sins. Now, I covered that yesterday. But this is a helpful reminder. I find it necessary to remind Christians because a great many of us never witness this in our worship services, so it kind of drops off the radar. But we might remember Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. What should we confess? Well, everything we can remember. And should the Holy Spirit make us aware of something else? Let's take care of it immediately. The fourth element of prayer is to bring every request that we have to our Heavenly Father. You know, yesterday I talked about prayer and the will of God. Well, it's true that we need to grow in the grace of asking and receiving. But leaving all that matter aside, let me share something that I have learned as I've asked. And my Heavenly Father has answered. I'm reminded that everything that I have has come from His hands. 
That also reminds me daily how I have been in his hands. And whether it's a matter of the needs that I need him to supply or the battles that I need to fight or or the ministers of the gospel that I wish to support or the future visions that I entertain or the temptations I seek to defeat, in all of these things, I'm reminded I'm dependent on him. That's why prayer is a means of grace. The very act of praying stirs up my faith. And finally, an often forgotten element of praying is consecration. Oh, Lord, fill me afresh with your spirit today. Renew my love for you. Stir my slumbering spirit, for I so easily abandon your ways. Do not forsake me this day, for if you do, I I would forsake you, and I would be lost in my own sinful tendency. Renew my heart, I pray. I know all this sounds good in theory, and truthfully, not all prayer times are as meaningful as others. And I also know that sometimes, you know, our sluggish mind wanders and our prayer time is either neglected or it's very short. And those times, I've learned a little trick. Let me share it with you. How much time do you want to spend in prayer tomorrow? See, if you can only make 10 minutes, here's my suggestion. Take out your smartphone, set it for 10 minutes. Get on your knees knowing that you can't get up until that thing rings. And so no matter how bad your disciplines are, don't you dare rise from your knees until 10 minutes are up. It's, it's an amazing thing, that practice, for it will teach your flesh to yield to your spirit. So keep praying. God has determined in this way to fill your life with grace. John, you know, I think a lot of us, our, our devotional lives aren't what we would have them be. They're a bit of a wreck. And so instead of moving forward, we sort of retreat from them because we're embarrassed almost about them. But what ought we do if our devotional life is in a bad place? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is that, you know, some of us have confused ourselves to think that the devotional life is a means whereby I earn the mercy and the grace of God. So we need to disabuse ourselves of that. Uh, We also need to see our devotions as an opportunity uh, rather than constantly as the place where we, you know, feel that we've fallen short. Um, So uh, I would simply say learn to grow in this area and uh, continue on, persevere, and you will find that you're growing. So Don't despair, carry on. Thanks so much, John, and thanks for a wonderful series. And remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Legacy can traditionally be defined as something that is passed on to entrusted hands. But it can be so much more. Your faith, your character, your core values, or the life you lead. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, and you want it to continue and have an eternal impact on future generations, then you may wish to consider making a legacy donation. Advisors with Purpose is an independent Canadian financial ministry that Back to the Bible Canada partners with to help supporters create a plan for their estate according to their faith and values. Our partnership allows Back to the Bible Canada to offer an estate service through Advisors with Purpose for free. If you're interested or would like more information, call Advisors with Purpose today at 1-866-336-3315. And to donate to the ministry today, visit us at backtothebible.com.
www.ca.org.